I'm Dawn. And I'm Ashley. We would like to welcome you to the Work It, You Are Worth It podcast. Where two friends sit around and talk about healing, growth, and healthy relationships. Hey, Dawn. How are you? Hey, Ashley. I am great. How are you? I'm wonderful. It has been a brilliant, beautiful day here in sunshiny North Carolina. How about yourself? Mm -hmm. I am doing really well. Um, it's sunny here as well in Florida. However, it is cold. So I actually have long pants on, long sleeve shirt. I was sitting outside and I'm like earlier and I'm like, oh, it's cold. So yeah. I'm. I heard you guys were looking at a, a wonderfully high, chilly, cold 72 today. <laughs> I know. People are like, what? You're like, but it was cold. It was so cold. See, for me, 70 is perfect sweater weather. I love it. I do love long sleeve pants and shirts like, you know, sweats or like long sleeve workout pants or, um, and like, so I do love it. So I'm not complaining about it, but it was chilly for what I'm used to. I could definitely could not put shorts on today. I would, would have been too cold. Um, I, if I would have, I would have had to have a sweatshirt or a hoodie on. But I'm not, I love it. It's so nice to have the weather change. And um, it feels like fall, finally. Yes, fall is one of my favorite times of the year. And it definitely is starting to feel like fall, finally. Yes. I mean, here, we're not supposed to exceed 85 degrees for the next week and a half. So that is fall. <laughs> That's beautiful. Sounds like good yes. weather to me. Yes, it should be very, very nice. Um, so you just got back from oh seeing Jeb. How was it? It was amazing. I'm so proud of my son. Um, like to describe the feeling to someone else, I, I don't know how. I don't know that the English language actually gives us the words to use but the pride that I feel in him is just unexplainable. Um, he, when he left here 12 weeks ago, he was my boy. That He was mama's boy. He was my boy. When I saw him on Thursday, um, actually Wednesday, I hugged a young man. Um he just has this air of confidence. The army gave him what I was never able to. Wow. That and of course we went to the Skyway Bridge in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. It was absolutely well, wait a minute. amazing. I, I want to talk more about the whole Jeb thing because I get it. Like I'm, and why I was silent was because I was all in my own feels there for a minute. Yeah, I'm good at just skating over the fields. <laughs> well, I don't want, let's not feel, skate, let's not skate over the fields because you deserve to have the fields. And um, there's a sadness too. It's like, I don't know. And I remember like having Dylan here, you know, when he was still here in Florida, right? It was, even though he was older, he wasn't, you know, he was still very much kind of that, still had that little boy in him. And he's still does when I when he's with me right I think that's I think as the, as their moms we are always that kind of like that safe place where I can be that kid or should be right right yep but there is nothing more amazing and I have this one picture of Dylan when I you know we moved him to Texas and we had walked into the apartment it was completely empty and he's goes immediately to the folder they left and he's reading the paperwork and he's look and I turned around and I'm sure I've told you the story but I turned around and it was like I always in my head was this little boy when I turned around there was this young man and it, it I I snapped a picture just I got lucky and snapped a picture but it was such that feeling of I no longer was looking at my little boy that little boy that right that three-year-old the two-year-old the six-year-old the so I wish that 
the people on our podcast could see the picture that I am about to send to you, um, I did the exact same thing. Like, I'm not even joking. I'm not even lying. I'm going to send you the picture and you're going to look at it and you're going to really like, you're going to be like, oh, that's that moment. I don't know what it was, but he, I asked him a question and he was walking in front of me and I happened to notice like this little swagger that he had. Oh. And I asked him a question and he turned around and he looked at the people we were with and started answering the question. And the look on his face and the posture that he has, it is just like this, oh my God. And it was that exact moment that you're talking about where, like, I sent them my boy. I sent them my baby boy, and they turned him into a young man. He turned himself. He took everything they had, and he just took it in, and he just excelled at it. Mm. It's amazing. I, I, I don't have... I literally don't have words to describe just how how much pride I have in him, how proud I am of him, how in awe I am of him. I, I I'm I'm really very very happy for you. Um, it's but it's such it, it's such a bittersweet thing. As a mom, it's a bittersweet thing. I. I I don't feel like anybody else would ever understand it. I don't know. I'm actually sending you the picture I took of Dylan. Um, it is because it is sweet. Because, it is because <sighs> I'm saying bye to my boy. I mean, yes, I am saying hello to this amazing young man, and I am mm-hmm. so excited to see all of the things he's going to do in his life. And I am saying goodbye to my baby. He's not my baby boy anymore. He's your son. He is my son, but he's and a man now. He's right. I see that picture and, too. That's amazing. Right. I it's can just, see it. yes, it's, and the pictures, I'll try to figure out a way if, um, to share them somehow, some way I'll figure that out. But, um, even if I put them on the website and people can go look at them, um, and again, I, but you know what? I could share those pictures, and I so, really believe that there's only a, a, a. And I'm not discrediting people that are not moms. That's not what I'm going to say. But I believe that in only a mom that has been in the shoes that yes. we're in is going to see what we see. Yes, and, and the reason for that is because. If I've never felt this feeling, I cannot, like, I've felt it and I can't describe it. So if I've never felt it, I can't possibly understand it. You know, I think, I've, and I know I've said this to you before, but, you know, one of the things as a mom of a, of a, of, of a boy, of boys, is we are, our whole life is preparing them to go out and find another woman to put ahead of us. I want to make my son the absolute best man he can be. That has been my goal for so long. Right. Make him a good, help raise him to be a good producing, production, good productive member of society and a good husband and a good father. Exactly. No. Not, not so he could be a good son to me. Nope. Not so that we could, I could always be in his life and we could always have a great relationship, but so that he could go and create this other home and, and give this woman an amazing husband and give these children an amazing father. Yes. To put, and I, I raise, to me, raising boys is the most selfless thing we can ever do because I'm, I'm, it's something I'm willing to do. I'm willing to be, I'm willing to fall down the list of his priorities. You know, and I know that for you, it, like you have boys, you don't have daughters. So I know we've don't. had this conversation. So I know that you think it's a little bit different. Um, and for me, it's really, especially with destiny being pregnant and getting ready to have a baby it is it is the exact same thing. I find myself stepping out for the mother-in-law, right? 
the the boyfriend and his mom that's where she lives that's where the baby shower is that's where the baby will be born and when Cameron decides to have children if she does get married move into somebody else's home like it's gonna be the same thing we're still like I am still raising my daughters to be good productive members of society good wives and good mothers I love that you said that. Thank you. Because um, I don't, right? I don't have daughters, and I don't know, and I never will know having daughters, of you know, experience having daughters. Um, so, man. Okay, so let's just say this. Being a mother is the most selfless, selfless job there is. <laughs> Absolutely. I think... I think being a parent is yeah, the most agree. selfless job there is, for Agreed. sure. So... All right, so the bridge. I know you went on the bridge. Um, most people that are listening to the podcast are going to know the bridge. Maybe sometime I'll pop on and do share my spiritual awakening on a podcast. I should do that sometime. And you could do the same thing, right? We don't have to always do this together. But um, I know the bridge for me was very much one of a very big spiritual awakening in me because it was for me it was letting go of fear um so what you so what do you think I, I i don't expect it to be the same right the same situation as me because that's not how spiritual awakenings and experiences work not at all it was not so it had nothing to do with letting go of fear i do not have a fear of heights i was actually amazed by the absolute beauty surrounding Mm. me um going up the little ski lift thing i was excited i was taking pictures of the town and the angle and like, I just, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, it was beautiful. It was spectacular. The views are just indescribable. Um, yeah. For me, the bridge did create a spiritual awakening, though. Um, and what that awakening was... What that awakening was, was even in moments when life is hard, even in moments when I am at my wit's end with someone, when I think that I could cut contact with this person and never speak to them again because I am so frustrated or I am so angry or um, I am tired or I am hurt, whatever the reason even in that moment I can have those feelings and still have this unconditional love for the same person I use my mom as an example right several weeks back me and my mom got in this really big fight we got in this it was just really bad Um, and it took many many weeks for us to get back to being communicative Um, we were not speaking at all Uh, I wrote her a letter um, but that was the only communication that we had for several weeks what I learned on that bridge was that even during those weeks I could have spoken to her I could have supported her I could have been loving towards her even though I was hurt by her, even though I was angry at her, even though I felt like I was at a point in our relationship where possibly cutting contact would have been the best thing for me. Even in those moments of feeling that way, I have the ability to be love, to be kind, to be caring, to be compassionate, to be supportive. And for some people, that's just not possible, right? 
for some people if someone is being angry and mean and nasty to you or if someone is hurting you they can't possibly be kind to them and I, I was in that place if I have nothing nice to say say nothing at all and I was genuinely in that place where I simply had nothing nice to say so I was saying absolutely nothing at all and when I was walking across that bridge I was able to find within me within myself the ability to say even though I feel this way right now I still love you and me loving you has nothing to do with your actions that is my choice to love you so I can do that even when I feel this way if I want to and before I crossed that bridge on Sunday I did not know I could do that Wow I love we want to cross the same bridge that is a factual statement. We both went up the ski lift. We both had to take the stairs. We both went under the little entrance way that says Skyway Bridge. <laughs> yep, <laughs> right? we did. We went across the same exact bridge. Right. Had to get to the glass panels. Had to get to the other side. Um, and it's um, it's just amazing to hear the difference between what you got from it and I got from it. And I think that's what it is with every situation is what I get from something the, the it's gonna be based on what I need to get from it yes. um, you couldn't you could not go across that bridge and force yourself to have it be a thing of overcoming fear no matter how hard you tried, it was not going to be that. At the end no. of the day, I'm not going to have the same experience that you had. And no matter how much I force it, I'm not going to have your experience. But I will say the one thing that I think that what that because the view is undescribable and the pictures do not do it justice. I think um, you just have to be in it because it's such a feeling of you realize how small you are yes absolutely like just standing on the bridge and looking out it's one town it's what 50 miles yeah and it's just everywhere you look is just this amazing you realize how small you are like it, it really puts it into perspective It's, it's just undescribable. And I, you know, I hope someday when, you know, I've, I've talked about doing a retreat or something with, our, with the work at You Are Worth It group and I want to get there and I've, or I know that's going to be the destination. I just know it is because like just that feeling, that view, the power behind it. It needs to be. Yeah. It's just, uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, dang okay Whew. for real yeah so I'm glad you had a great time and I'm glad you had the experiences you've had over the last um, couple weeks because uh, I've had them this year you know over the last couple years and they are they're pretty great so it is it definitely is so we left off last episode um, talking about low self-esteem. We split them up because there are quite a few of them. Um, do we want to recap really quick the ones we talked about and then jump into the other ones? Um, sure. I mean, do you want to just read them over real yeah, quick? That's oh. what I was thinking. Okay. 
Um, okay, so low self-esteem patterns, and I'm going to read them pretty fast. People can look them up. You can go to the Work It, You Are Worth It website, and they are on there. Um, so codependents often have difficulty making decisions. In recovery, they trust their ability to make effective decisions. Um, in codependents often judge what they think, say, or do harshly as never good enough. And in recovery, they accept themselves as they are and um, emphasize progress over perfection. Codependents often are embarrassed to receive um, recognition, praise, gifts, and feel appropriately, when they're in recovery, they feel appropriately worthy of the recognition, praise, gifts that they receive. Codependents often value others' approval of, of, of their thinking, feelings, and behavior over their own. And in recovery, they value um, their own opinion, they value the opinions of those they trust without needing to gain their approval. They have confidence in themselves. Um, codependents often do not perceive themselves as lovable or worthwhile people. But in recovery, they recognize they are lovable and a valuable person. Um, codependents often seek recognition and praise to overcome feeling less than. In recovery, they seek their own approval first and examine their motivations carefully, carefully um, when they seek approval from others. And then the last one we did was codependents often have difficulties making mistakes. And in recovery, we continue to take personal inventory. And when we are wrong, we prompt, promptly admit it. Um, I just, in codependents often have difficulty admitting a mistake. Oh, sorry. Thank you. You're good. I just wanted to make sure that we knew, just not making, but admitting. Same thing, because we definitely don't. Like, when we make it, we refuse to see it. So, same Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I appreciate that clarification, because, yeah. So, let's get to the new ones. All right. So, the first one, um, codependents often need to appear to be right in the eyes of others and may even lie to look good. Oh, I used to do this bad. <laughs> so, too. I never intentionally lied to look good. What I was known for is exaggerating. Yes. I would, I like to call it the whole fisherman syndrome like thing because, right, how big was the fish you caught and you've got to always add like six inches? Yes. Well, so the way that I did it was, so at first, many years ago, I'm talking like 20 years ago, I would just exaggerate a little bit and then I would get called out for lying and I'd be like, but I'm not lying, I'm just exaggerating and everybody would be like, well, it's the same thing. So then I decided somewhere along the way that if I exaggerated to this astronomical rate that everybody would know it was an exaggeration so it would be cool. So like if let's say you ask me how many miles to the gallon my car got, right? I, I've got a hybrid. I just got it a few months ago and um, actual factual I get about 37 miles to the gallon, which is still amazing. It's nice. great. Yeah. Right? But if you'd have asked me 20 years ago, I'd have told you I got 40 miles to the gallon. Yep. If you'd have asked me five years ago, I'd have told you I got 50 miles to the gallon. And if you ask me today, I will tell you I get about 37 miles to the gallon. Yep. So, right, everybody knows, unless you have a hybrid not even a hybrid unless you have a fully electric that sometimes runs on gas you're not getting 50 miles even motorcycles don't get 50 miles to the gallon so for me to say I was getting 50 miles in my mind was this great big huge exaggeration so anybody I was talking to should just know I was exaggerating because it was such a large exaggeration but what kind of sense does that make like, that's a lie. Like, in my mind, I wasn't lying. I was exaggerating to this majorly large amount so people wouldn't think it was a lie. When really what I was actually doing is just lying. 
Right, because the way I have would always think about lying was is more of did you do this? And if I did it, I and I said no, that was a lie, because right, it had to be very. Well, I, I didn't. I that's a lie, but to exaggerate was never a lie. But it is a lie. Yes, it is. Well, it had to be and, very blatant for me if I yes. was lying, because lying was very blatant. Well, and so right, what about a, a lie of omission? Right, I need to appear right in the eyes of others, so I know I did this wrong but I'm just not going to say anything and maybe they'll never know. I've done that on jobs. I've done that in relationships. I've done that with my parents. I've done that with my children. I've done that, right? A mission just, and no, that's because it go, kind of goes along with the one before this where I'm, I, you know, I have trouble, struggle making, uh, admitting I made a mistake, right? I made a mistake. I'm human. Everybody makes mistakes, why can't we just say we made a mistake? Because if I make a mistake, then I'm less than. That's a low self-esteem pattern. Right. And and that's why in recovery, I am honest with myself about my behaviors and motivations. I feel secure enough to admit mistakes to myself and others and to hear their opinions without feeling threatened. Because those are the reasons we lie, right? We lie because we don't feel secure about making mistakes. We feel like if we make a mistake, it's world ending. It means we're a horrible human being if we screw up. And the other reason that I lied is because I was afraid of what somebody else thought of me. Like literally afraid, heart pounding, hand shaking, like imagine there's a bear standing in front of you growling afraid. I was afraid of what other people thought of me. So for me, um, this still can very much, that still very much still reign true for me today in two relationships. That's with son one and son two. Anybody else, I can admit I made a mistake, I'm human, I can let it go, doesn't bother me, that I don't know something, right? I don't care. With my boys, I find, and this is just, my boys are really, really smart. They are ridiculously smart. They both like shit that I don't even care about. It's useless to me, so I don't, I'm not interested in it. Um... And they'll, I'll know something. Let's say I'll know something that, and they'll are kind of like, no, mom, that's not true, whatever. I will fight to the death on that situation with them because I need to be right with them because I am so rarely right about stuff with them. That's my head talking, right? Because there is so much I know that my boys don't know but I don't want to, I don't want to appear less than to them. I want to be, I still want to be their air quote mom that knows stuff. And I think the other part of that too is we care more about the opinions of the ones we love. So the more you matter to me, the more I love you, the more I care about you, the more important you are to me the more your opinions and thoughts matter to me. Oh, 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that. And there are two, they are, my boys are the most important things to me in the world. And I, so I think that's, I think that's probably really is why. Um, But it's still something that I struggle with. And I have to, when it happens and I catch it and I know it, it's having a a little conversation with myself. Dawn, this doesn't make you less than. It's okay that you don't know this, right? You know stuff, right? I have to kind of talk myself out of that, that thought process. Yes, for sure. Okay, so the next one is codependents often are able to identify or ask for what they need and want are unable oh are unable god i can't read tonight 
maybe you should be doing the reading. Um, <laughs> You're on a roll. <laughs> codependents often are unable to identify or ask for what they need and want. This one's an interesting one because I never thought this was an issue. Do you know I find I am still unable to identify sometimes what I need or want? Me too. This one's a hard one. I would have never, I would have never thought that before though. Before recovery, well, because I never, see, here's the thing. I could identify it, but I wasn't going to ask for it. Or I was going to demand it. And I was going to be a downright bitch about it. Yes, I thought I knew what I needed, and I was going to make you give me what I needed. Didn't matter if you wanted to give it to me. It didn't matter if you had it to give. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. You had what I needed. I wanted it, and you were going to give it to me. Yep. And that could be um, that could be a tangible item. It could be an untangible item. It could be an emotion. It could be a feeling. It could be any of that. See, for me, it wasn't a tangible item. A, like an, a thing, a tangible item. Thinking I like even, a hug. Right. Like I didn't even know what I needed at that point. Right. I, I didn't. Like when you talk about things like a hug or um, – money or a car or a job or I had absolutely no idea I was just doing what I thought society told me I should go to my job make money go home you never had the thing so for me it was very much in this moment I needed wanted this in the next moment I needed and wanted this but it would was going to be something different it was like I was all over the place with what there was no consistency in what I needed and wanted so for me yes but only when we talk about non-tangible things emotional like connection love communication consistency stability um intimacy right for me I at such a young age did not have the tangible necessities met that the minute I was able to I made certain that I had a way to get every single tangible necessity right if be it a hug I had kids I could go get a hug from my kids uh, money I had a job I would go to work food I had money because I went to work I would go to the grocery store it like when you talk about a thing a tangible thing I had put my wants to the side so much emotionally and intellectually that I had all of the tangible like I made sure that I had all of the tangible things because the other things I couldn't even look at but when you talk about emotional things yes I absolutely like one minute I love you and I want to be with you and I just want you to talk to me and the next minute get away from me and don't speak to me I want to be alone yeah so I think where I go to is with my with my ex-husbands my second ex-husband especially very much of a don't hug me leave me alone I'm tired right but then I'd get mad if he wasn't you know wouldn't then show me affection so but the problem is I kept pushing and pushing stuff away that then when I did want it or did need it, I didn't get it. Yes. Right. Like when he tried to offer it, I'd be frustrated and not want it. Right. And it couldn't just be not necessarily just a spouse or a significant other, but even a parent or a sibling or Mm -hmm. a friend. Um, It wasn't the person I wanted it from. So it didn't matter. Yeah. I think that's really interesting what you're saying. It's so it wasn't from the person that I person that I wanted it from, so I didn't want it at all. Can you tell me t- talk more about that? So when I was a teenager, I wanted um let me see. I don't know if that'll work. Um
I'm trying to think of an exact example here on the spot. Um, well, I mean, let's just go to, I don't even need to use an exact example from my life, but for example, I'm in a relationship with someone and I want that person to give me um, emotional intimacy, emotional connection. I want them to sit down and have conversations about dreams or religion or the universe, just conversations about everything that mean everything and nothing all at the same time. Um, and maybe the boyfriend or the husband or the wife is unable to provide it but my sibling, I can have these amazing conversations with about all the same things and still get the same emotional intimacy out of it. But because it's my brother or my sister offering it instead of my significant other, I don't want it. It doesn't mean as much to me. So what or, you're talking Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, or like, I want to go out to dinner. I want to be taken out to dinner and my best friend offers to come to dinner with me but I don't want to go out to dinner with her because I want my husband or wife to take me out to dinner. So what I was going to ask when what I was going to say was what it sounds like your friend or the the people that are offering to do it is the 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 adjustment you have to make into what is in recovery which is I meet my own needs and wants when possible and I reach out for help when it's necessary and appropriate so right instead of worrying about what your partner is doing your wife your boyfriend your your um, husband or whoever it is accepting that okay I can get my needs met other places and being okay with that now that doesn't mean in my opinion you should ignore that your partner husband wife I'm just going to call it partner it's just easier um, your partner isn't giving you what you need I do not believe you should just ignore that I think you, that is that comes into is he is the person falling short in this area and I don't want to say falling short right he can't give me what or she can't give me what they need what I need in that area but they can give it to me give me something else and is it is that good enough is that enough for me now maybe I need my partner to sit down and have an emotional connection with me or talk about the universe and my feelings and work and all of the stuff what if they can't do it well, I mean, right, that's up to each person. If they can't do it and I need it from a partner specifically and the partner I currently have cannot give it, then I need to do one of two things. Either I need to change my perception and not need it from that person or I need to change my partner, right? Either I change my perception and I don't need it from my partner or I need to change my partner and have a partner that can give it to me. Those are my only two options. Yeah, I mean, the, I think there's a, you know, like you could go to your partner, you could have a conversation, but again, I feel like there is part of if the partner can't give me that other those that other in um, depth of conversation it's going to be hard to go to that person and have a conversation with them about I'm I, feeling this way right and I think that kind of goes into one of the other codependent characteristics of not recognizing the emotional availability of people yeah um so that's definitely a part of it but I think as far as being able to identify and ask for what we want or need it's important to know either I need this or I don't need this. And if I need this, where can I get it? And is that, am I okay with getting it from that place? So why would this be considered a low self-esteem pattern? I don't, I don't get that. For me, 
being unable to ask for what I want or need or even identify it came from not knowing myself. It came from not having any self-esteem, right? So self-esteem is the way I look at myself. Either I have poor self-esteem or I have good self-esteem, low self-esteem or high self-esteem. I, years ago, had no self-esteem. I did not ever look at myself. I did not consider myself. I did not think about myself. And when things got so loud, when my needs got so loud that I couldn't possibly overlook them, I had to hear them, I was so unfamiliar with myself that I didn't know what I was asking for. Like I, like I had never spoken that language before, so I didn't recognize that language. You said something that I want to actually ask a question about. You said that there's two, you can either have low self-esteem or good um, bad, you know what I mean, low or good self-esteem. But what about a narcissist? Because a narcissist just thinks they're the best things ever. That's not actually true, though. So a narcissist actually has extraordinarily low self-esteem. But they put on a front to make it look like they have the high self-esteem. A true narcissist hates themselves just as much as they hate everyone. Now, someone there's, who's there's ego- no way, there's no way. That's true, Ashley. No way. <laughs> well, um, codependency and narcissism are actually two sides of the exact same coin. Yes, um, they are. So, my belief and my education and my research have led me down the path of believing that a codependent is born out of extremely early childhood trauma, extremely early. Con- continual childhood trauma um now it doesn't have to be right some people look at trauma and they're like oh my god it's horrible I'm not talking that it has to be like emergency room trauma right if you fall and hit your head or you get a bruise that's still considered trauma but you don't have to chop your whole leg off so it's still trauma it doesn't matter the size of the trauma trauma is trauma codependency is born out of early childhood consistent trauma where my needs aren't met I learn that if I put other people above myself then my needs might be able to be met or I might at least think my needs are being met a narcissist actually experiences the exact same types of childhood trauma instead of then saying if I put everybody else first my needs might get met, they actually go the exact opposite way and say, nobody can meet my needs but me, so let me take what I need. So I have a question. The next pattern, the next um, codependence often, is that codependents often perceive themselves as superior to others. But I thought that's what narcissists do. So let me tell you a story about me and my codependency. As a codependent, gosh, I don't know, you talk five, seven years ago, it doesn't matter. Anything past the last two years. And I truly believed that when I sat down and talked to someone, I could see what path they were on and what paths they could go on, what paths they had in front of them that they could choose to be on. And I thought I could truly see which one of those paths that they had to choose from was the best one for them. I knew better than them where they were in their life and I knew better than them where they needed to be and where they needed to go. So many times I hear people say, if he or she would just do this or that, then their life would be so much easier. I hear it all the time. And 
when we say this, in our minds, that's what we're doing is we are perceiving ourselves as superior to that other person that we think we know more than. We think we can see their path better than them. We think we know what they need to do next in their life better than them. I can think of, for me, work um, in an in a, um, aspect of work where maybe comparing myself to a co-worker and I, well, I, 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 I get, do more. I understand, you know, I understand this and that person struggles or, right, just those where I'm comparing myself to the other person from a I am better than place. Or how about in recovery? Right? How often do we see people in the 12-step program who look at somebody else and they're like, oh, I'm so much more advanced than them in this program. Like, it's not mm-hmm. that or, um, so in recovery, I perceive myself as equal to others. So how many times in a relationship do we look at that relationship and say, I'm giving more than them. I'm supporting yes. more than them. I'm talking more than them. Or I'm working harder than them. I'm doing more chores than them. That is perceiving ourselves as superior to others. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got to this step faster than this person. Or I'm not as far, this, as far, uh, uh, didn't get through the step fast as fast as another person. So to perceive myself as equal to others, I am not above nor below anyone. My, the COO of my company is not above me. The janitor at the school is not below the principal. The, the mm-hmm. guy that drives the forklift or the kid that restocks the shelves is not above or below the senator. Yeah. We are all equal. We may be, right, I may be at a different place. I may be not the same as the CEO of my company, but that doesn't mean that one of us is superior to the other. It just means we're different. I don't know more. Right. And I think when I, you know, using for myself, again, the, the analogy for work is my manager, I, you know, I've made, I've talked about that where I, I struggle with her a lot of times because she, I, I, not she, I feel, I feel less than, but what I have to remember and part of this is this in recovery where I am equal to her. The difference is what I'm good at, she might not be good at. What she's good at is might not be what I'm good at. But doesn't make me less than or her less than or her better than or me better than. Right? We have, we both bring stuff to the table that makes our both of our stuff valuable. Just like in a relationship, right? Relationships aren't 50-50. Never are they 50-50. No, that mess is a hundred, a hundred. <laughs> Shit. Right? Or some days it might be, I only have 20% to give. 30% to give. But you're still given a hundred percent of what you have. Exactly. So that brings us to the next one, I think. Um, codependents often look to others to provide their sense of safety. So do you mean safety like not getting hit by a car? No. I think this means safety like emotional security, like worry, like, for example, I used to have this belief that my ex-husband was going to kidnap my oldest two children. And every time I was worried about it, I would call Nick. And I would vent to him, not just to vent, but with the expectation that he 
was going to reassure me that this was not going to happen. And if he did not reassure me of that, I would be wrapped up in my anxiety. I would be angry at him for playing into my anxiety. I would be just a mess. I would just spiral. That is looking to others to provide their sense of safety. I looked to Nick to reassure me that my ex-husband was not going to kidnap my children. Now, with the help of recovery, I am able to hand that fear, that worry, that story that I have been telling myself for 18 years, I am able to hand that over to this higher power and know that I am going to have what I am supposed to in my life and that my children are going to have the life that is meant for them. Whatever that means. That doesn't mean I know all of a sudden that my ex-husband is not going to come kidnap my children. I don't know that any more than I knew that 20 years ago. But I know that my higher power is going to give myself and my children the life that we need in order to be the best us that we can be. There's safety in that. Okay. I want to jump to the next one. Okay. Um, and this one, I remember, I remember this one early in recovery. Early, early in recovery. Because I read this one and I was like, what? So, codependents often have difficulty getting started, meeting deadlines, and completing projects. So, there w- go ahead. I'll, sorry, I'll just say I don't have a whole lot on this one. I have always been a, once it's assigned, I get started immediately. I finish it immediately. I complete what I start. I, this one has been not really applied for me. And that's okay. Some do, some don't. Right? So this one, um, I, I struggled as a student. Um, in high school, I, uh, in all honesty, I should have never been allowed to graduate. I graduated with a ridiculously low GPA. That does not mean that I am not intelligent. It meant, what I thought it meant, was I was lazy. So, skated through high school. Then I didn't go to college right out of high school because I, what I said was, and I believe this to a point, I would have went and partied and had a great time and probably would have failed out. Um, why I say that's not necessarily true is because I believe that I didn't, I did not think I could do it. Um, so I went back to school at, um, 28 years old and I took, got my bachelor's degree and did in in accounting and did very, very well. Um, not saying it wasn't hard, whatever, but one of the things that I would do is I would literally wait to start a paper till the night before it was due. Because I would say, oh, I work so much better under pressure. I put, I do my best work under pressure. Then I went and I got my master's and took a whole different approach with that. Um, mind you, it was, you know, 15, 10, 10, 15 years, 10 years later and took a different approach with it and actually started things on a timely manner and did much better. What I realized was had nothing to do with I worked better under pressure. What it and I learned this in recovery, right? What it was was I would second guess my topic. I would second guess my ability. 
I would second guess whether I could come up with enough words. I thought that what I put out in a paper was just right. I didn't trust that I had I knew anything, right? I I've <laughs> I, I doubted me, and it it was because of my low self esteem. But once I rewired that, like right, once I went to get my master's, I did overcompensate, right? Because I was like, I'm doing this and I had to graduate with a 4.0 and blah, blah, blah. I did. But I overcompensated for it. You went the opposite extreme from from procrastinating and having trouble starting to just going way above and doing way more and stressing yourself out. Exactly. Instead of, right, I avoid procrastination in recovery. I avoid procrastination by meeting my responsibilities and responsibilities in a timely manner, right? And timely manner doesn't mean going to the other extreme. Well, so I actually think a timely manner means setting healthy priorities and boundaries, right? So yep, that leads into the next codependents often have trouble setting healthy priorities and boundaries. What I think a timely manner means is that old saying, under promise, over deliver. Mm. So when I set, and I used to do this, I used to have a lot of trouble setting healthy priorities and boundaries. I would tell people that I could put I don't know, I could lift 500 pounds in 30 seconds. You guys, I weigh 110 pounds soaking wet. I can't lift 500 pounds ever. But I would surely tell somebody I could do it. And then I would go above and beyond, and I would lift that weight and wonder why I pulled my shoulder out of socket and broke my back. Be mad at myself for pulling my shoulder out of socket and breaking my back instead of realizing that I was not setting healthy boundaries and priorities. This really actually goes back to full circle what we were talking about earlier, right? When I need to appear right in other people's eyes, I need to appear good enough in other people's eyes because if I set, if I would say, oh, I can't lift 500 pounds, well, then I'm going to appear less than. Right, yes. And so I would lie and say that I could do it and perceive myself as being the superior human being once I did it, even though I broke my back and my neck trying to do it. Damn, you just hit like five of these that we just read tonight in that one sentence. Isn't that crazy? Um, And now in recovery now, I am able to establish and uphold healthy priorities and boundaries in my life. Um, What that means for me is... I tell myself what I can or cannot do, and then I follow through with it. If I cannot complete it, I ask for the help that I need or let someone else know that I cannot do it. Um, I, I have worked very, very hard to get to this point, and at this point in time, I have finally found a way to say, Yes, I can do that, and it will take me this amount of time. Under promise, or under, over, uh, under promise, over deliver. Um, and then I never feel stressed. I never feel exhausted. I never feel overworked or overwhelmed. And the people around me are always happy because I have met what I have said I was going to do. And I'm happy because I have integrity. So I'm going to share a story that has happened over the last couple of weeks. Part of it you know, part of it you do not know. Um, And I actually, when you asked me if there was anything going on this week, I completely forgot about it because I've dealt with it and it's over and done with. But, so talking about healthy priorities and boundaries in my life, um, I mentioned in the last couple of podcasts that I was having these yucky feelings because I was feeling kind of overextended and... I didn't have enough space in my life. That's what I felt like. I just didn't have enough space in in my life for like for my own stuff, my own recovery work and my. So anyways, I 
decided to stop on stop going doing the Wednesday night um, group and then work reached has reached out to a bunch of us and asked us to pick up this um, task um, each night of the week it's got to be done it is crucial to our clients and um, I've always been interested in this um, thought it would be kind of just what, not sure what it was and was interested in it. And I really, I was like, well, I would kind of want to do it. But the only night I had available was Friday nights. So I watched a Friday night um, on how it was done. And I just was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to give up my Friday night. Um, I usually, Friday nights are my night. Um, I, you know, get up from work. I go and take a you know, dog on a walk and on a walk and I kind of just chill the rest of the night. I really want the downtime. And I just was, it was not settling well with me. So I was unsure if I was going to do it. Well, then the next week I, some friends, some friends reached out and they were going to do this haunted ship that was here in, in Tampa. And I thought it would, you know, think, oh God, that would be so cool. I think that's awesome. Uh, I still want to do it. I did not do it. So I was really in a lot of turmoil that week because I was like, well, it's, I'm supposed to do this thing on Friday night with work, and but I want to do this. And so I was all in this feeling, right? And I was trying to j- juggle it around and how can I make this happen? And I was like, because I really want to go to the, the ship thing. And so I was like, well, I won't do that. You know, I won't do that on Friday nights. I'll just see, maybe I can do it on Monday nights because Monday nights will work for me. And then I can still go Friday night with my friends. And um, so I asked one of my sponsees to switch. Everything fell into place with the work thing. And then I still had to get my ticket for Friday night to go to the ship. And I was... I just there was something every time I went on to buy the ticket that just was I don't know I just couldn't do it there was something about it I just it was causing me way more stress than I needed and I wanted I did not like the feeling so I decided that I wasn't going to go because it was on Friday night I don't want to do anything on anything on Friday nights I like after working all week in a in a in a fairly high pressure job with a lot of demands that I need Friday nights to be mine I don't like to go to dinner I don't want to go with friends I don't want to I just want to sit on my couch and do nothing and decompress so I said no but there was and why there was so much stress and eh around all of that but once I let it go and I actually held upheld my own priorities and put my own my boundaries and my own boundaries in place all that stress went away. I don't miss, I don't regret not going to this, this, the, the, the ship, the haunted ship thing. Would it have been fun? Sure. But I'm not, I don't regret not going because there was such peace when I finally got everything laid out, right? I had a conversation with my higher power. I let myself feel it. I acknowledged what I was feeling. And then I asked for what I needed, not worrying about what anyone else thought. Because it wasn't about anybody else. It was about me. I think you just hit every one of those patterns with that story, too. (laughs) I am a really good codependent when it comes to low self-esteem patterns. (laughs) But you also hit all the recovery ones, too, with the end of it. I did. I did. That's pretty awesome. So that that is the end of our low self-esteem patterns. Yeah. Um. I love these. I these really all hit very close to home for me. And I'm just so glad and so happy to um and proud of myself to be on the in recovery side. That doesn't mean I don't have these happen once in a while. Right? We're talking last couple of weeks. I had all of these hit the codependent often, but it's not about the fact that I hit that I f- hit those, I fell into those. It's about that I recovered, and I recovered quickly. And, right, what I notice, and for myself as well as for you, um, I used to live in the codependence often. 
I didn't visit it. I didn't check it out every now and then. I lived in that codependence mm-hmm. offense side. Now I live in the recovery. And every now and then I might visit the codependence often. But for the most part, I live in recovery. And I love living in recovery. Absolutely. I don't. Absolutely. Right? I don't like going back and visiting. But I like going back and visiting the codependence often because it reminds me how far I've come. Yeah, I mean, and you can't have one without the other. We yeah. would not be able to appreciate the in recovery if we were not codependent. Exactly. Thank you so much, Dawn, for such a wonderful podcast. I love doing these patterns, and I look forward Me to too. the compliance patterns next yes, week. Yes, that'll be a um, that'll be a fun one too. They're all so much fun. Anyways, all right, Ashley, listeners, everybody, have a great week, and talk to you next week. Thanks, Dawn. Thanks, everybody. I hope we all have a wonderful week. You all have a wonderful week. I'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. We would like to thank you for joining us on this journey of self-discovery. Visit the Work It website at workityouareworthit.com to submit your questions and topics for future episodes. And remember, work it because you are worth it.